Okay, imagine this. You slowly open your eyes as you start to wake up, and you're greeted by the same surroundings that have greeted you every day for nearly 55 years. You get out of bed and walk towards the window, hoping to see sunlight. Nothing. The same gray clouds have greeted you every day of your life. Your father told you stories of bright, sunny days of his youth. This is before the war, of course. But those days of sunlight and his youth are long gone, as is he. You walk over to your closet and pull on a pair of dingy khaki pants and a faded pair of sneakers. You go to a mirror above a chest of drawers and pull a dirty denim shirt from over it. With the mirror in full view, you get a good look at your face. Your hair is starting to turn that same seal gray as your father's once had. You got some ragged stubble as you haven't shaved in a few days. Your skin is darker than most, as tanning is it possible these days. The eyes, oh the eyes, a warm brown with an almond shape. Your late wife has found them very inviting, but you can never see it. You look down and pick up your father's old leather belt and holster, a silver revolver, and a reload of ammunition. As you strap the belt on, you look toward the door that leads to the rest of the house. The door your father used to mark your height on. He stopped when you reached as tall as he was. You were 15 then. With the belt secure, you leave the room, grabbing the captain's hat from your bedside table. It stayed clean the longest and used to be white, but dirty like everything else. You start trying to get the dirt out of the clothes years ago. The rest of your house is minimalistic, bare wood, but you do have a few trinkets and memories from the past. Above the fireplace are three pictures, one of your family, one of your wife's family, and in the middle, one of your wife from the day you got married. On the wall above is a life preserver with the name Ashley, which according to your father means dream, and he said she was the dream of her owner, with two old oars crossed an X behind it. The life preserver was a gift to your father by the owner of the Ashley after he had to leave his employment due to the war. He was drafted into the Navy and served on a destroyer for six months. The war had lasted just six months and three hours exactly, but the effects are still present today. He served on the USS Gallagher, a guided missile destroyer, but not the kind that had ended the war. Had the ship been deployed, they would have gone to the Pacific, but after the war was over, their captain told them all to go home. Your father had built a model of the ship. It was across the room in its own cabinet. He had built it before you were born. You walked into the kitchen to warm up a pot of coffee. There wasn't much left in existence, so you had to ration it out, but you only have enough for a year. You take the cup outside, and you walk around the building and look up at the faded stripes on the lighthouse. Your father had taken up the job upon returning home to help the fishermen that were trying their best to provide for people despite the fallout. You took up the duty after your father died, and you still do it to this day even though the fishermen stopped coming almost a decade ago when the fish were gone. You go into the lighthouse and turn off the light and turn on the small beacon now that it's morning. You turn on three radios in the lighthouse, amateur radio, citizens band, and marine. You sit there for a while looking out over the land and seascape. Out to the ocean, you see the dull waves as they crash to shore. Over the bay, you see what few fishermen there are left go further out to sea in hopes of catching something. You look back towards the town, once called Lubbock, now quite affectionately known as Luck, as the sign faded, someone had added a K to the back of what is left. You leave the lighthouse and walk towards the garage. The old sign has faded and now reads Wadi Head, although it used to read West Quoddy Head. You enter the garage and turn on your mother's truck. She brought it brand new 60 years ago. It is a boxy body with four doors and a long bed with a toolbox in it. The paint had faded, but you can still see the white paint in its striped pattern over the red. You start it every day to make sure it will still run. You leave the garage and make your way out to the old dock where an ancient fishing tug sits. 
she drifted ashore one day, and you, after about a week of tinkering, got her seaworthy again. She's a dingy white, just like everything else that used to be white, with a somewhat low, streamlined bow that rises up to the bridge. It's almost like a bubble over the rest of the ship. Her stern is open, and you used to have trawling gear, but you sold it to a fisherman that needed it. You did keep one of the stronger cranes. She isn't a small tug. About 70 feet, you'd imagine, but you never really measured her. When you first saw her engine, you were very surprised. You read about the trick in an old book about people that used to smuggle alcohol over 100 years ago. Her last owner had installed a vintage but very powerful and fast fighter plane engine in her. Nothing was broken, just all gummed up. If it ever broke down, you'd have to abandon her, and she can barely find parts for anything anymore. That old smuggler trick gave you an idea when you first happened upon her. You checked thoroughly behind every panel in that ship, and you found three cases of the finest scotch whiskey you've ever tasted. You traded a case in town for all the furnishings you'd ever need for the boat and more. You make your way up to the bridge and fire her up to make sure everything still runs. Then you go back to the house. You go down to the basement to the hydroponic garden and pick some of the ripest produce. No conventional garden ever grew anything after the war. Your father never told you the horror stories of all the people that starved to death in those years. But the old timers in town told that kind of story all the time. Hydroponics is the only way to get produce anymore. Although lots of people have them at this point, everyone grows something different so everyone gets what they want in the long run. You take the produce you picked and head toward the garage. You put the produce in the back seat and then climb into the driver's seat. You turn the key and the old truck rumbles to life. You pull out of the garage and head into town. Not many stuck around, but the few that have run a market. You park off the town square and head towards one of the fish stands. The fallout had very little effect on the deep sea fish, so they're safe to eat. You make a trade and get three fish out of the deal. That should do you for a full week. You walk to another stand and trade some of your produce for someone else's. Then you go over to the oldest man in town. He runs a still that produces the finest corn whiskey you've ever had the pleasure to consume. He learned it from his old man and he taught it to his son, but his son hasn't made a batch in a while. He once told you that you'll have to wait until his old man dies. You think that the sun's is better, but any sentiment like that is fighting words around here. You get a jug of the old man's finest, and you head towards the parking lot. Then go to your truck to make another stop before returning home. You head to the pumping station that pumps fuel from the nearest refinery. Society never really collapsed after the war. The town was out of fuel for a while, before the group that currently controls the refinery took over. You give the owner the rest of your produce, and he says you can take the usual. You go outside of the pump and fill your truck in five five-gallon containers with fuel, then you head home. You back into the garage, take two fuel containers to the lighthouse, and take the last three to the boat, which you christen Christine. You cast off the lines and make your way to the mouth of the bay to search for new shipwrecks, either the survivors or the ships to scavenge. You go out every day in hopes of helping someone. You'll never forget that day you rounded the rocks of the mouth of the bay and saw an ocean liner drifting towards the rocks. There were still people on her. She was the biggest thing you'd ever seen in these waters. As soon as they heard you, they started yelling to get your attention. You went up alongside the ship and gunned the engine, and slowly but surely, you pushed the liner away from the rocks. You decide to see if the radio is working, and you manage to hail the captain, who heartily thanks you and tells you that they ran out of fuel a week ago. He asks if you can help in any way. You tell him you can, and you instruct him to throw down a line. You leave the bridge and cast the line and secure it tightly to the stern. You tell the captain that there is a pipeline in town, and he thanks you profusely. When you get them to port, the captain makes his way over to you and thanks you profusely, and asks where you got that remarkable boat of yours. You tell him it just drifted up one day, 
He tells you it looks a lot like a boat his great-great-grandfather had. He was lost at sea before he ever got to meet his son. He asks the captain what his predecessor had done for a living, and the captain tells you that, by day, he was a trawler captain, but at night he ran alcohol. You tell the captain that you had the perfect gift for him, and you ask him to follow you. You get in the boat and cast off, and since the water is calm, you go full throttle to the lighthouse dock, and that marks a new record for you and Christine. You dock and tell the captain you kept it in the safest place you knew, the top of the lighthouse. He follows you up there, and you pull out of the box next to a chart table a pristine bottle of scotch. You hand it to him and tell him that you believe this belonged to his great-great-grandfather. He says that he doesn't know how to thank you, and you tell him there's no need, but even after a century, it's still a small world. You take him back to his ship and wish him well on his further travels. You then return back to the lighthouse and went to bed knowing you've done something good in this crazy, turbulent world. You shake your head out of the memory and look around. Finding nothing, you turn back toward your faded red and white lighthouse and its dock, and you gun the engine for a little fun. You tire to the dock, you fill our tank, and head to the house. You go to the top of the lighthouse and turn off the radios and the small beacon, and turn on the large beacon as it's getting dark. You go back into your house and make dinner. You've learned to live off of one meal a day, and resources become more scant every day. You make a meal of half a fish and a green salad. You eat slowly as you read one of your favorite books. Books are hard to come by these days because people had to burn them just to stay warm as the asteroid to fill the skies. You found this book years ago in the hole in the wall in the basement behind a faded poster that looked like a lighthouse with the number 10 on it. You accidentally broke through it when you were putting a bag of fertilizer on a shelf. You found a couple old college textbooks and five novels, including what would soon be your favorite. You kept them in a safe hidden in your bedroom. You must have read this book a hundred times by now, but it's still your favorite. You close the book and get up as you finish eating. You clean up the meal and head towards your bedroom. You place the holster and belt on its place in the chest of drawers, the shirt on the mirror, the pants and shoes in the closet. You head toward the bathroom and take a five-minute shower. You stand in front of the other window in your bedroom while you dry off completely. You always watch for the sunset, even though you'll doubt you'll ever see one. As you turn away to climb into bed, something catches your eye. You look closer and see it. A break in the clouds and a ray of sunshine. Something you've waited for your whole life. You stare for a little while longer and soak in the glory of the sunlight you've waited so long for. It is just as truly amazing as you thought it would be. It looks like the light is over the town. You hope everyone is paying attention as no one in town has ever seen the sun either. You look forward to going into town tomorrow as there will surely be a party. You tell yourself to remember to take two bottles of the scotch into town with you for the celebration. As it disappears with the moving clouds, you climb into bed and for the first time in a long time, you go to bed smiling. You turn off the light switch next to the bed, and you watch the light slowly fade as it gets later and later. When it completely disappears, you allow yourself to close your eyes. As you drift off to sleep, you dream of sunlight and warmth for the first time since childhood. Maybe the future is getting brighter. The Imagine This Podcast is a personal project and is not affiliated with any other large podcasting group or any other company. Imagine This Podcast is written, produced, edited, and narrated by Lauren Slate. Imagine this is a storytelling podcast from your point of view. New episodes come out every two weeks. You can find us online at Imagine This Podcast at Facebook, Instagram at Imagine This Pod, Twitter at Imagine This Pod 1, the number 1, and imaginethispod.wixsite.com forward slash imagine this. Thank you for imagining this story with me.